0: All right, if you got your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 31 and we'll be in verses 17 to 55. We'll finish out that chapter today. Uh, Genesis chapter 31 and verses 17 to 55, and the title of our lesson is The Return. The Return. So let's take a, a, a quick review, a review after, our, uh, after our goat saga uh, last week. Uh, In in verses 1 through 3, it kind of sets the stage for what's going to happen today. So let me me read that. It says, Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying that Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be uh, with you. So, as we said last week, 20 years have now passed in, in Mesopotamia. So Jacob has been gone from his, his father Isaac, his mother Rebekah. He's been there in Mesopotamia for 20 years. Seven years he serves for, uh, for, uh, for Leah. Seven years he serves for Rachel. And now he has spent another six, year, uh, six years tending the goats. And he has become a very, very wealthy uh, man. And he's done all of this at the expense of, of Laban, his, his father-in-law. So circumstances have now changed. His, his, his brother-in-laws are looking at him uh, kind of sketchy. You know, He kind of catches a look from them that they don't like him quite as much as they, they did before. They don't look at him quite with favor as they did before. And then, of course, God also kind of validates the fact that, look, it's time to go home circumstances have changed, and, and, and by the way, I say this all the time, God will sometimes do that, right? He'll change your circumstances to kind of push you and nudge you in a direction, and then he'll validate that, that yes, this is exactly what I want you to, uh, to do. So let's pick up in verses 17 and 18. It says, So Jacob arose, and he set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padanaram." Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Now, if, when you just read these verses, they're fairly innocuous, right? You don't really see a lot in there. But as we read ahead, what we're going to find out is that Jacob leaves in secret. He leaves in a hurry. He doesn't, they don't throw a big party and tell everybody they're leaving and kiss and hug and say goodbye and all that. He's basically sneaking away. And in fact, he waits until Laban is away from home to make his escape. Verses 19 to 20. So Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to to flee. So it doesn't look like an accident that Jacob just so happens to decide to leave when his father-in-law is gone. He figures, I'll just sneak out of here, I'll avoid any. Any problems, any kind of controversy, uh, any kind of confrontation. And so he just sneaks away while, while Laban is gone. But what Jacob does not know is that Rachel has, has gone into her father's tent and she has stolen his, what, what, uh, what the Bible calls, household gods. Now keep in mind, in ancient times, uh, a lot of pagan religions would have these little household gods, okay? And it was a a god or a deity or a spirit that was believed to uh, protect the home. Um, This was very common across uh, pagan religions. Now, I'm not experienced in this because I've grown up as a Christian and I didn't grow up in a home with a, a lot of little things hanging around. But I'm sure if we went out into the world, people have got little talismans. They've got little things hanging in their house that's supposed to, quote, unquote, protect their home. So this hasn't gone away. This is just as alive today as it as it was back then. Now these these household gods were worshipped. Uh, they were almost treated as part of the family. They were. Uh, I, I read somewhere where uh, any time they would serve a meal, they would make sure and give uh, uh, some food and drink and, and set them before the household gods. And so it, they were. You know they were very much a part of everyday life in these ancient households. Now Rachel leaves and she steals them. Now I'm going to tell you up front, you know, there's always been a question. Well, why would she do that? And I'll also tell you up front, the Bible doesn't give us a clue, doesn't tell us at all why she would do that. Some commentators who want to see the best in Rachel will come out and say, well, she did it because she didn't want her father worshiping false gods. Okay, I, I, that that's the that, if all the reasons you can come up with, that's the craziest. Okay. First of all, if, if that was true, she would have just destroyed them, right? That makes no sense. You wouldn't have took, taken them with you. You would have just destroyed them. So I don't think that's it at all. To me, there's probably three reasons that she did it, probably three likely reasons. I'll give you all three. Number one was that she was an idolater or at least superstitious herself. Put yourself for a moment in, in Rachel's shoes. She's grown up. She spent her whole life with her, with her father, and he's always has these household gods, right? And um, so she just, this is just a normal part of her childhood. How many of you here know how hard it is to break away from your upbringing? Everybody with me? Sometimes we're taught things in childhood, and even as adults, we know that it, that makes no sense, but it's difficult to step away from it because it's so ingrained in you as a child. It's so ingrained. That's why, by the way, it's important for us to, in parents, ingrain god into our children and to ingrain the word of god into our children in the ways of god because it's very difficult for them to get away from it so it's it's it's, it goes both ways so think about this she spent her whole life here now comes the time she's got to leave and she's going to go to a, a foreign land live with foreign people probably never see her parents again she probably was worried she probably had anxiety going away from home for the first time so she may have thought, "Well, I'm going to take these along for protection. I'm going to take these along for a for a quote unquote uh good luck charm." Right? I mean, that would have made sense to me. So again, if that's the case, it just what she's holding on to is these traditions and superstitions that she was raised with in her childhood and and and, and I can completely understand that because as I said, that still happens uh, today. So that could be one reason that she did it. Number 2, she could have wrongly believed that they could tell Laban where she was going. Okay? Uh, one of the reasons that these household gods were kept is that some, some of the ancient religions believed that they could foretell or they could divine the future. Like, so if somebody had a business decision to make, they'd go to these little household gods and, and they would ask these household gods to give them guidance to, to kind of divine or foretell what the decision was? Remember back in chapter thirty, and I think there's some evidence for this, by the way. In chapter thirty, verse twenty-seven, Laban said to to Jacob, "If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of of you." So we don't know for sure that's what he meant. Again, the the, the Hebrew's a little uh, tricky there. It could have just meant I, I've learned by experience, or I can see the signs. Right? But it also could mean that I've asked my little household gods and they said it's you. So Rachel could very easily have believed that these household gods would tell her father where they're going and, and he would come after them. And so she took them uh, for that reason. So again, we don't know for sure, but that's another feasible reason. Number three, this could have just been plain old greed. Okay? A lot of these household gods were made out of valuable metals like silver and gold. Um, do you remember uh, last week in Genesis thirty-one fourteen to 15, Rachel said this, Rachel and Leah answered and said to Jacob, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? For he has sold us and he's devoured our money. So they could very easily have just basically said, Look, I got, this, I got some stuff coming to me, right? Just could have been plain old greed uh, that she, she should have, could have seen this as part of her portion or part of her inheritance, and and they just took her, or she took them for that uh, reason. We don't know in the end. I I thought I'd give you some, some, some speculation there, but the fact is we don't know why she took them. All right, verse 21. So he, talking about Jacob, fled with all that he had, and he arose and he crossed the Euphrates, and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So if you remember our map, he is up in Mesopotamia up between the Tigris and the Euphrates River in the, in the land of uh, uh, Paddan Aram, which is uh, basically, that is modern-day northern Syria, southern Turkey, up in, up in that um, area. So he leaves, and he heads back down toward the uh, land of Canaan. Now, as he leaves, he's committed two wrongs. Number one, he did not tell uh, Laban that he was leaving. He didn't give Laban a chance to say goodbye to his daughters, say goodbye to his grandchildren. Um, that's, that's wrong. There's no way you cut it. And the other thing, as I said, uh, unbeknownst to Jacob, Rachel has stolen these family gods. Now, if you're Laban, you, you come home, right? And all of a sudden, everybody's gone. Now, I can tell you as a grandfather, I can absolutely understand this. If I came home one day and my kids had just moved away and my grandchildren were gone, I'm going to be upset, right? I mean, at least give me the chance to say good, goodbye. So he's gone for three days. He comes back and lo and behold, they're all, they're all missing. So what are, what are you going to do, right? Um, He's going to go after them, right? He's not going to sit on his laurels and say, well, you know, uh, c'est la vie, whatever happens, happens. No, he's going to get He's going to get a band of his kinsmen together, and he's going to go after him. Verses twenty-two and twenty-three. So when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him, and he pursued him for seven days, and he followed close after him into the hill country of of Gilead. Now, catching up with Jacob couldn't have been easy. He already had a three-day lead. Uh, by the time Laban comes home and and figures out they're gone and gets all his kinsmen together and gets, a, you know, gets his food and, and water and, and his cam. Probably a fourth day is gone as well. So he's, they've got a four-day head start. But, of course, they're traveling with women and children, and it's a, it's a different story, right? So he, he eventually uh, catches up with them. Now, I have no idea what was in his heart and mind to do. Was, he, was his plan to catch up and kill Jacob? Was it? We don't know. Because before we have a chance to find out, God comes to Laban with a, a message. Verse 24. It says, But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So God warns Laban, don't hurt him. Don't touch him. He's mine. You, 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 know, you, you mess with him at your own peril. Okay? So he finally catches up with him. God has warned him, don't touch him. And, he, and there is a confrontation. Verses 25 to 30. It says, And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods. You know, this is, I don't, I, we saw this with Abraham. You know, God gives Abraham a promise, right? I'm going to take care of you. And yet when he goes into uh, certain lands, he would lie about his wife, right? Isaac, same thing. God says, I'm going to take care of you. But yet in certain situations, he would, he would lie and, and, and deceive, right? Because he was afraid. Jacob's exact same thing. It's just like father, like son. It just gets passed down. God has said, Jacob, I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. But yet, when he's scared of his father-in-law, he doesn't depend on God. Now, God steps in, doesn't he? He comes to Laban and says, hey, Laban, leave your hand. I mean, God would have done that all along if if Jacob would have just truly trusted 100% in God. But Jacob always had a, a backup plan. Now, Laban works kind of hard at playing the offended father. And I don't know how much he was offended by uh, his, his daughters and his grandchildren leaving. But I believe that in Laban's his real bone of contention was those gods. I think that was what really bothered him. So Jacob responds, verse 31. So Jacob answered and said to Laban, because Here we go. "...because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force." Making decisions based on fear. We saw it with Abraham. We saw it with Isaac. Now we see it with Jacob. By the way, every one of us are, are just as prone to be guilty of that saying. Making decisions out of fear instead of out of trust in, in God. So you can tell from that statement that Jacob's faith is still not where it should be in, in God. Go back to Genesis twenty-eight uh, fifteen. This is God's promise 20 years ago. When he was leaving, remember the night he had the dream and he saw the ladder. This is what God said, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have. What a promise, right? God himself appears to you and says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to watch over you. You got this promise, but yet the fact is Jacob didn't quite believe it 100%. He just couldn't quite ever put his trust in God 100%. He always had to have a little backup plan on the side, just in case God didn't come through. And by the way, I I say this all the time, he's just like us. He's just like us. We have all these great promises of God, but yet it is so difficult to just put your trust in them 100%. We always got to have a little backup plan on the side, just in case... I need to take care of my this my myself. See Jacob his backup plan pretty much always included manipulation, deception. I mean that was just who he who he was, right? So here's Jacob and he's kind of called out, right? Yeah, you're right, Laban. I was afraid I, I shouldn't have done that. So he doesn't he knows he's wrong for leaving the way he did. He knows he made a decision out of fear. So he's he's pretty he wants to change the subject pretty quickly, right? So that's what he does, because he can't justify leaving. So he changes over to the stolen gods, because he knows he's got nothing to do with that. So notice he changes the subject pretty quickly. Verses 31 to 32. He says, Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So he basically is just, because he's got no clue what's going on, he says, if you find your gods, he said, they'll, they'll die. We'll, 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 you can take, those, take your gods back, and whoever, uh, whoever took them, they've they got to die. They, they won't live. I'm going to make this thing, thing right, okay? Now, I mentioned earlier the stolen gods are really what Laban is interested in. The reason I said that is because you notice when he searches for them, he makes a very, very diligent and detailed search. Look at verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent, and then he goes into Leah's tent, and then he goes into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And then lastly, he went out of Leah's tent, and he went into Rachel's. Okay. So notice he goes into Jacob's tent first, because in his mind, Jacob is probably the most... He's the most, you know, he's the highest suspect, right? He's our best suspect. He's Jacob. I know him. He probably took these things, right? And then he goes to Leah and he goes to the servants, but it's last that he goes to Rachel. So in his mind, Rachel is probably the least suspect of having having done this thing, right? Verses 34 to 35. Now, Rachel had taken the household gods and she put them in the camel's saddle and she sat on them. And Laban felt all about the tent, but he did not find them. So he goes in the tent, she's sitting over there on the saddle, and he's searching under, he's searching under the food trays, he's searching over here, he's, he's looking under the cot, he's looking all these different places, right? Verse 35, And she said to her father, Lord, Let not my Lord be angry, that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the God. So she basically says to him, Okay, and and she she's very clever in what she does. She sits on the saddle, which is hiding the the household gods, and she says, I, "I can't get up because it's my my time of the month." Right now, let me say this always works because men have no clue what to do with that statement. Right, they they have no idea, and and Laban's no different. Laban's like, "Oh yeah, well, let me just get on out of here." Right, I, what's he gonna do? Right, so that always works. She knew it, so that's always worked back then. It still works today. Anyway, Rachel's theft is is not discovered because of that. Now, once that's done, they go back outside. And and by the way, had Rachel's Steph been discovered, everything would have changed, right? I mean, this I don't know what would have happened, um, but it's not. And so he comes. Laban comes back out and says, "Well, I can't find him." And and Jacob, now he feels vindicated, right? Now, you've got to remember with Jacob, he, is, he has served this guy for 20 years. And Laban is a cheat. By the way, Jacob's a cheat too, but, but Laban is one as well. And uh, he's basically served him and served him for 20 years, and there's a lot of frustration has built up. And at this point, for the first time, he kind of he's standing there. In his mind, he's vindicated. He's innocent, right? So he now has this advantage. By the way, he realizes two things. Number one, the gods are not found, so so Laban has nothing over him. And number two, he also knows because Laban told him that God told Laban, "Don't touch him." So he can kind of say anything he wants at this point, right? So he's kind of free. And so he goes off on Laban. I mean, he just he just tears into him. So you got this twenty years of frustration, twenty years of friction, kind of boil over. In Jacob's response, verses 36 to 42. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. So this is not just a normal response. He berated him, right? And then we all know what that word means. That means you just, you would just unload on him. And Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods, and what have you found of all your household gods? Set it before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten of the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day the heat consuming. And the cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Now... I have to be honest, whenever I hear Jacob open his mouth and defend himself, i got to take it with a grain of salt because I know him. We know him, don't we? We know who he, who he really is. And, and as usual, he's kind of overstating his case, right? Um, see, the fact is, it's true that God did see what was happening and God did bless Jacob. But Jacob's prosperity we saw last week was from god's hand alone it had nothing to do with the labor of his hands it was just god doing that so even now it just he doesn't quite get it right not only does he not trust god uh 100 to protect him he doesn't also quite get the fact that everything he has is through the grace of god once again i think he's just like us i think he's just like us I think we 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 give mouth service to the fact that we're blessed by God but the fact is many of us uh, still believe well, it's because I worked hard. It's because I did the right things. It's because I did Everybody with me, you can get, it's easy to give mouth service to the blessings and the grace of God. But what do you really believe? See, I think Jacob down deep really believed that God blessed him because he was spiritual. See, I think Jacob sees himself as spiritual, and he sees Laban as carnal, and he sees the blessings of God because of that. But that, but God's blessing him through grace and grace alone. So I'm not convinced that Jacob is who he says he is, and I don't. By the way, I don't think Laban was convinced either. Verse 43. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, "The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day?" For these my daughters, or for their children whom they have born. You see, Laban believes in his heart that everything Jacob's got is his. It's my daughters, it's my, my all those sons you've had, those grandchildren are mine. All the flocks, that's all mine. But yet God has told him, don't touch him. So in Laban's mind, Jacob, you have, you have deceived me. <laughs> you've done all this stuff, but I can't touch you. So all he can do is initiate a covenant. With Jacob, so the two of them kind of keep their separate uh, ways. Verses forty four to forty six. So this is Laban. He says, "Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me." So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsman, "Gather some stones." And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate a meal there by the by the heap. So the first thing they do when they, I guess, it was a, a cultural thing when they're going to create a covenant or a legal agreement between two people or between two tribes or whatever the case may be, is they build a monument to that covenant to remember it by, okay? And so they all went out and gathered stones and added to this covenant, and then they sit down and they eat, or added to the heap, and then they they sit there and they eat a meal to kind of uh, commemorate this, this covenant. Verses 47 to 49. So Laban called it something, which I can't pronounce, which means... In Aramaic, the heap of witness, but Jacob called it Galeed, which means heap of witness. And Laban said, this heap, or this pile of rocks, is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galeed and Mizpah, which means watchpost. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. Now, now read that sentence. The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of... In other words, I don't trust you, and you don't trust me. I don't. Tr- Neither one of them trusted the other one as far as they could spit. They didn't like each other. They didn't trust one another. So they make a covenant and say, God watch it. God watch you and God watch me. Let's get out of each other's uh, sight. So I bring that up because the- here's the thing. Jacob is supposed to be a godly man. But Laban has to invoke God to watch over the covenant because he don't trust him. Okay. He doesn't trust him one little bit. Now, Jacob may have been convinced of his innocence, but Laban wasn't convinced at all. He is, in his mind, Jacob is a crook. He's a cheat. He'll always be a crook and a cheat. And, but he knows there's not much he can do to stop him uh, to do anything because God is, uh, is on his side. Verses 50 to 51. Laban says this, If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and he called his kinsmen to eat bread... And they ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. And early in the morning, Laban arose and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and he blessed them. And then Laban departed and he returned home. I, want to, I was hoping to have a few minutes here. I want to talk a little bit about morality and legality. Okay? Here's this thing with, with Jacob. Jacob seems to be a man who is convinced of his own integrity. He is certain that God is on his side because he is an upright man. Now, God, by the way, is on his side. That is true. But God's not on his side because of who he is. God's on his side because he chose him before he was born. Everybody remember the story? That's why God's on his side. It's complete and 100% grace. But Jacob, as he experiences this grace, he tends to think, Boy, look at me. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I, I, I'm, a, I'm I'm I got a lot of integrity. I got ethics. I'm a everybody with me. He, he he and I wonder how can he be so wrong? How can he not see what's going on? And I believe the answer is Jacob is a legalist. Okay, here's what I mean by a legalist. I think Jacob was a man who prided himself on keeping the letter of the law. You see, to his knowledge, he had never broken the quote law. Do you remember back when he made a deal with his brother and he says, I'll trade you your birthright for a bowl of soup? Everybody remember that? Now, by the way, that's a, that's a perfectly legal deal. They actually made a, made a trade. But is that moral? Is it ethical to steal your brother's birthright? Of course not. He shouldn't have done that. He should have left it. If God wanted him to inherit it, God would have took care of it. What he did wasn't ethical, it wasn't moral, but it was, was legal. You remember with Laban and the goats last week, uh, Jacob is in charge of the goats. So how he breeds them and, and what he does, it's completely up to him, right? Everything he did, putting the poles out there, uh, segregating the goats, all of that was perfectly legal. But was it moral? Was it ethical to do that? to 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 weaken laban 's flock while strengthening your own that's that's not legal i mean that's not moral everybody with me he, he in in the world's eyes he's doing he's not doing anything wrong but the fact is in god's eyes it's not moral and it's not ethical now you may say to me but Laban was a crook Laban was a cheat Laban was a deceiver yes he was Laban is the kind of guy that slaps you on the back with one hand and slips your wallet out of your pocket with the other right laban is a, a one of those guys that tosses around spiritual language about the lord but at the same time he's got household false gods right he, he's just one of those guys that whatever whatever you want to hear he, that's what he'll say right and 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 he's not he's a he, again he's he's a yes you're right cheat crook whatever name label you want to put on him but here's the thing guys morality and ethics doesn't change with the situation Morality and ethics don't come and go because of the person on the other side of the aisle or the other side of the table. If your morality changes with the situation, then you don't have any morality. That's not morals. That's not ethics. That's, that's what the world does. It just up and down, change, whatever, this and that and the other. Morality and ethics should be constant because of who you are, not because of the situation around you. See, in the end, I don't think Jacob has any real morals. I don't think he's got any real ethics. I think what governs him, in his mind, whatever's within the law is the right thing to do. In fact, it's morally right. By the way, that is the heart of legalism. Okay, If you want to know what legalism is all about, that's exactly what it is. Legalism always equates morality with the law. If it's legal, then it's moral. Okay? They don't, they don't look at, they don't look at their heart. They don't look at ethics. They don't look at what's the right thing to do. Legalism always believes that righteousness and the keeping of the law are the one and the same thing. This is what the Jews struggled with. By the way, it's no wonder the world is trying to legalize homosexuality, transgenderism, abortion, because in the world's mind, if it's legal, it's moral. Do you get that? That's why they want it legal. You might say, well, why don't they just, why do they even care if it's legal? Because to them, making it legal says, it's okay. When inside of them, it's killing them because they know they're wrong. Their conscience is is telling them they're wrong. But if everybody will just say, it's okay, it's right, it's legal, then they'll feel better about themselves. See, to the world, legality is morality. To a legalist, legality is 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 morality and i think that's what jacob was but true righteousness always involves more than keeping rules always more than keeping rules matthew 5:20 jesus made this famous statement he says for i tell you unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the pharisees who are experts in the law who 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 worked at keeping the very minutest details of the law he said if you're not more righteous than them you're not going to heaven. You are not going to heaven. And they were the best rule keepers, law followers in the world. If you're not more righteous than them, you're not going to heaven. Okay? See, now doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have laws. Doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have rules. Of course it does. There are certain types of behavior. But above all the rules, there is a a standard of conduct that I would call morality or ethics or convictions. It's above all the rules. It stands above the of, And if you don't get to that point, you're just a legalist. I want to read a couple of scriptures. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. I, I love this. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous person. The law is not made for a righteous person. In fact, he goes on. But the law is made for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for murderers, for manslayers. The law is for them. The law is not for righteous. Why? Because I don't need a law written down on paper. I got a law in my heart. I got a law that's guiding me from the inside. I don't need that to guide me. That's, that's what, uh, what Paul is telling Timothy. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says this, For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the only law you need, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. You can go through life with that one law. That, that should guide every... Think about... Think one minute about Jacob. If he had loved Laban as much as he loved himself, would he have done the things that he did to Laban? No. If he had loved Esau as much as he loved himself, would he have cheated him out of his birthright? No. If he had loved his own father as much as he loved himself, would he have deceived him? No. That's the only law he really needed, but it was the one law that he was missing. That verse goes on, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. We shouldn't need a law if love for others is our one overriding ethical conviction. That, that covers everything. And I think that was the thing that was really missing in Jacob's life, is that he just didn't have that love for others. It was all about him. Now, thank God for grace. Thank God that, that, that he's going to mature Jacob and he's going to change Jacob. But much of his life, he was not driven by that. And, and by the way, the same thing is if we look back in our lives, the same is true for us. There's large parts of our life where we're not driven by the one overriding thing that we should be driven by, which is love for others. And some people have fallen into that legality and the keeping of the law, but that is not true righteousness. Next week, uh, we turn to uh, Genesis 32. Um, I'm preaching today, so I, I did not have any chance to get into that yet, so I have no clue what Genesis 32 is, is even about. Um, so, uh, But we'll, we'll uncover that and get to it next week. Let's pray.